Welcome to the Game Production Podcast. I'm your host, Ria Gimeli. This is the podcast about the production and business side of game development. How do game studios decide which games to work on? How do they manage them? How do they market them? In this third episode, I'm talking with Arta Sergei Novak from Topo Games. Topo Games recently released their debut title, Suze Rhein, to much success. Suze Rhein is a narrative text-based RPG where you control the political future of the fictitious nation of Sortland. We recorded this episode in our beautiful Saftladen office, which is our game collective slash co-working space here in Berlin. In this episode, we talk about the challenges of handling political content, sharing company ownership, and everything in between. It's a very interesting conversation, so let's get right into it. Hello, Arte. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and managing director of Torpor Games. Can you tell us a little bit what you are doing there on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, sure. Basically, as a co-founder, I have different roles. As a managing director, I have different roles. As a managing director, more day-to-day, -day, I oversee the entire operations of the company, like which products we're developing, what direction of our mission are we headed towards, are we like aligned with our mission statements, is everybody happy, and you know all the challenges and obstacles. These are all for me to analyze and uh, take the weight of the shoulders of other developers and employees in our company. So yeah, it's just uh, keep the train uh, chugging along and like moving on the right railroad track, not you know being offset into another direction that we don't want to be. As a co-founder, I have kind of like a different role. I like to separate them a little bit because I think they have different responsibilities. A managing director is more of like a direct a responsible person of the company's existing and current operations. And obviously there's a lot of like connections, but a co-founder is in charge of making sure the company itself like survives longer term beyond the near midterm strategic uh, like goals of the company. I think there's a different kind of type of responsibility involved in being a co-founder than just an employee, um, as well as you're not even as a shareholder. Um, so yeah, I take that as a different responsibility. I try to make sure Torpor Games lives beyond the products we built even right now. And our message spreads around the world, like that not just our games is our value, but that what we provide to the world as a studio, as a company is our value. That's what I try to do as well on the other side. Yeah, that's interesting. The, this outlook of saying you are kind of more than your games that you're doing. Can you go a bit more into that? Like, do you have like a mission statement with your company? Yeah, I mean, our current mission statement is to uh, challenge and question the reality that we live in. Like, it's very broad. Um, it's uh, also the, the other supporting statement we use is creating thought-provoking entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like, what does thought-provoking mean? It basically means that we use our games to disappear, like as tools to disappear into the entertainment uh, products. But within the game, we challenge the players and ourselves as even designers and game developers and you know, whichever part of the team we're in, like on a psychological level, challenging our morality, our thoughts, our values, and kind of like philosophizing about life within a completely different setting. It's just expanding our horizons, changing our perspectives. Um, it's a very internal process that we're trying to push. That's kind of like our goal as a company. That's something I find very appealing also as a game developer. And it's also something which I feel in our own company, Machine Mensch, we are trying to do to a certain degree. I would be interested in knowing how do you employ this outlook also in marketing? Do you tell people, the players, especially like your vision overall, long term? Or is it more a internal thing that kind of guides your own internal uh, development? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, like we... 
besides the product marketing that we do, the point is like we do create products that reaches these statements and these goals that we've envisioned regarding questioning like uh, people's like thoughts and like their morality and all this stuff. The product itself obviously is being marketed, but in between that, we always tell people that like we are going to do a, like a strain of these products, like a lineup kind of in a way that this the message of the company is this. These products are just like a way of spreading that message. Um, so we do a bit of that, but the main stuff is more like internal. It's kind of like our um, like a light tower. Mm -hmm. So it's our guiding light. Um, and it's interesting because how it forms is generally um, we see certain things in the world that are being like overlooked or like, oh, why is this subject not being tackled anymore? It's just like gone off the people's minds and stuff. And we're like, we should like make something that talks about this. And that's how like things kind of like go from there. And we're like, okay, uh, let's challenge the subject. And then we go deeper and deeper. And then we put that into the middle of the product. But we do it in a way where it's um, not up your face. Mm -hmm. It kind of like it is there throughout a game. Like it's nothing that just hits you and like, oh, this is a topic we got to talk about mm -hmm. this. No, it's we immerse you in and the, the subject and the topic slowly creeps up on you and it's consistent throughout the game. So you never feel like it's putting you out of the experience or the developers is an opinion or something. Like, like we try not to like uh, avoid that um, to like make it to, you know, embrace it. like it's up your face kind of thing. So it's very smooth, like even in Suzerain, like you can see that like nobody really said like, oh, I start the game and this game is about this, you know, like it's the stuff comes up slowly and we do that uh but then after we've you know done that we also tell the community hey our company like we're not just a game we're a company and our uh, and we as a company are trying to do this and this is why we did like suzerain for example so like we we try to keep that message alive and we push it towards the community but internally it's a lot very much more intensive to shape the product and then you know it goes out to the community again kind of thing yeah, there's a interesting challenge in there in that when I look into for a Curious Expedition, our game, we are facing maybe similar challenges in that the game tackles a controversial era of time, like it deals with uh, an era of exploitation and racism and so on. And on one hand, we want to make a comment about that and like uh, reflect on that politically also. But on the other hand, we cannot maybe make it too obvious because the game will be perceived as like overly pol political. To me, that's a interesting challenge as a game designer also, because how do I make a game that is maybe even a bit subversive and kind of sneaks up onto you with, his ex with your expectations and then gives you a, a feeling of uh, feeling even guilty or something, uh, like an in interesting emotional space to play with, where you take away some message, which, like you said, doesn't hit you like with a hammer very upfront. Um, and that's that's kind of a very tricky balance because if you do it too subtle, players can completely miss it, right? And just like don't perceive this angle at all. Or if you overdo it, people feel like, ah, this is kind of like an educational game and I'm not interested in that. I want entertainment right now. Like, did you have those discussions during development? Like, let's not make it too educational or something? Yeah, the we definitely, this is like an early discussion we had. Like, we don't want to make a serious game, as the industry puts it. We, we should focus on making an entertaining experience that has serious elements in it. Um, but the thing is, with, with our approach, we made, like, Suzerain came, came from the heart because like, it came from uh, the experience of the development team, the core development team, and it manifested into, like, a meta perspective of these things that we've seen in the world 
and we kind of like took it above ourselves about our above our narrow um, like opinions and we made it understandable and like reachable by everyone in a way um and in that way like we looked at it from a different perspective but also there it was upfront a very political game we didn't have any issues like of creeping up on people or hiding our hiding like certain messages and since we're a very like a very role playing friendly studio we as players like also enjoy role playing about ex- like exploring different expressions and like um having different characteristics and just being in another perspective is something we really love about games that's why in suzerain politics uh, as a as an expression comes from the ability of choices and this is where the game succeeds in a way because we don't put the choices that we don't personally do agree on or don't agree on in a specific way into the game or not we just allow a range of choices and we as developers we don't dictate this is the better one this is the this is the worst one it's more about giving that range of choice and simulating the experience from there on and that comes from like all the historical events and other stuff that happened so it's we don't like curate or guide our the player towards our opinion um it's about even expressing opinions that we don't agree on that's where we differ from a lot of studios because there's a lot of stuff in suzerain that's completely unethical and it's completely stuff that we don't agree on personally but it's there but it serves a purpose by being there not to support those actions or statements but it serves a purpose of simulating what those actions do to the character and the storyline and what happens to people around this world who are in the positions of power that make these choices why do they make them like if we don't add options that explores that part of rulership then we will never understand the mindsets of these people and suzerain was made to offer such a wide range of um, political expression and choice in order to simulate different different types of leaders like you can be you know Aliende type of leader or you can be like a Merkel type of leader if you want or you can be like you can even be like someone darker you know like you can you can take it anywhere you want but it's the experience that simulates that that's valuable it's not what we think is right or wrong mm-hmm. and that's where we i think succeeded and going forward we want to keep on to that that's the benefit of an interactive medium that you can allow different expressions and experimenting with those having said that there's always of course also a like a limit <laughs> to how far you can take it right and like what exactly do you want to portray and um there definitely for us in curious expedition like um a lot of subject areas where we allow people to be like assholes and or yeah from my percep- perception do negative things but there are also of course limits where we say that we don't even allow experimenting with this specific idea or like a strategy like it's 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 too far off limits for us it's now we don't feel um it's appropriate or comfortable with it do you have something like this or do, did you have uh, discussions inside of the team where you said like okay let's let's cut this specific uh narrative piece yeah we had we had a couple of things so our approach here there was um does it make sense in the world narrative right does it support the narrative and um there was a very interesting balance there of between shock value that something provides versus like the the value it provides throughout the story you can really make something um interesting and dark or really push the corners if it supports the main narrative but if if it feels like a piece outside that's when it's wrong like then you feel like it's just there to make shock 
and um, I, I think that's not a good approach. We did cut off. Um, there was um, a much darker storyline with the vice president's character. We we didn't cut it off. We just made it more vague. Um, but it was about uh, this character's abuse of um, all the female coworkers and colleagues they had, secretaries and like other confidants and stuff. We just didn't think it was like adding to the story much, and it was like a too touchy subject at the time as well. But we made it a bit more different. We added another narrative element to it. And it made it much better anyway. Um, there were other things like uh, usage of like taking cyanide and stuff like at the end of the story, like a certain because we have different endings and certain endings are really horrible and they're very dark. They're meant to be like that because like not every story ends great in like political life. Um, and uh, our game is like simulating so many lives in a way. So yeah, there we had some stuff that we get toned down. It was much more like intense. Yeah, we did make some cuts here and there, but it was um, we never wanted to sacrifice any of the narrative and we didn't. Uh, we made the cuts that we thought that didn't negatively influence the, the narrative overall. Um, so yeah, drawing the lines is something very difficult. And as you said, there's always a limit. Suzerain has like 400 something choices, mm -hmm. very difficult. It's only possible because it's a very text focused game. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge to keep the the corners like uh, clear and then stay within that main narrative, especially in the branching storyline where the strength is the branching storyline. But we managed and uh, I think the cuts we made were all reasonable. Um, so yeah, I'm not like sad that we lost a great piece of the game. Uh, it's just small things here and there that we just made better basically. For us on the sequel, we um, because it's also a lot of um, sensitive topics, uh, we even this time was the first time where we had like um, a proper kind of sensitivity reading of somebody giving us feedback specifically on these things which are uh, problematic. And it helped us to get to fix some stuff um, where we had blind spots. Also, this topic is kind of touchy to people because they're like, oh, it's like censoring and so on. And it's like, uh, what about free speech and so on? But I, I feel um, it, it, for us, it was super helpful because, you know, we didn't on certain areas, you don't like hopefully on, on any area, you maybe don't want to be offensive. But like maybe you, you take a stand and you say like, oh, I, but I'm making like an anti-capitalist standpoint here or something. Right. And you. You want to offend those specific people, but sometimes you just through the wrong choice of words or like um, uh, a archetype or something that you're portraying, you don't reflect on it. And then you are getting a backlash on topics that you <laughs> where you didn't intend to offend anybody. Right. And I, th and I think for that, it's like super useful to have somebody that that can help you point out and you can still take that feedback and do use it however you want it's we had ethics uh like we had a consultant as well that like did the check on uh on the game uh we it was a massive game so we only had to focus on several parts one of the parts that we wanted to focus on is the whole like family storyline and like the status of women in soldier society because uh i mean yeah suzerain is set in a fictional world just so if people don't know um it's an alternative 50s universe where uh, like the world has development developed in similar but also different ways so in our in our country it's like a more conservative country that you get to rule uh women only privileged women have education and status and most women don't and there's a lot of laws that you can pass throughout the game to help uh, women's rights and all that stuff um and as writers because initially we didn't have the funding to get a, an actual writer the core team wrote uh, a lot but our writing quality was like bad in certain way in certain parts especially when it came to like story like personal storylines like family stuff so we wrote rewrote re-rewrote the 
personal storyline, the family, the, the the friendship stuff, like twice over uh, because it was not the good the, the, the good quality. But the second time we rewrote it, it was with a freelance writer. But we only got that freelance writer as we were getting a consultant to look over the the material, and we figured out that. Um, there were inconsistencies in how like women were portrayed in the society mm. of Swordland. Like some women had advantage, the others didn't, but we never explained it. So like we had to explain it. We improved the language. Like it helped us get another perspective. But I, I do understand like the worries about like the the censorship part of it. Like some people are like, oh my god, you know, is it censoring and stuff like that. I think as long as it's feedback, it's not censoring. Like you know, and developer can take that feedback however they want. We did. Uh, we had very positive changes after. Um, there are some things we didn't have consulting on, which was actually a worry. Like they did point out that this can be a problem and it didn't end up being a problem because we gave it the detail and the amount of attention. And since we personally had, ex personally had experiences related to that topic specifically, it was about minorities, um, that we gave it the reality check, you know, and it was good enough. And the community said it was, yeah, it was pretty realistic. I, there was a very emotional storyline regarding the the conciliation of the Swordish people and the Bloodish people. The Bloodish people are like a minority in Swordland that is kind of being oppressed. We wrote the storyline where you can like make peace with them, you know, pass laws that you know give the minority an advantage, but you can also completely go the opposite, or like you can tread a very fine needle and balance it out. There was a very emotional thing that happened. We received an email um, from Turkey, and it was this uh, Kurdish uh, player who wrote about like a very emotional letter about. That this game, um, in this game, they tried to bring peace to their to Swordland, but actually that they were trying to ma make amends in between themselves, between what they're going through as a as a minority mm -hmm. and all the negative things that they have seen in their entire life, and they were kind of ref like projecting that experience, but they were trying to like morph it into a positive outcome in Suzerain, and in Suzerain, like there is a path where like it's very difficult, but you can actually fully make an alliance and amends with the minority. And uh, there is a scene where you hug the minority leader, like the political leader of the minority group. And this person who wrote the letter, like broke down in tears and cried. Like and they said, like all the hate, all the issues, all the things I've lived throughout my entire life, I've felt on and reflected on that. And the only thing I want is for you know people to have peace and live together. And I'm glad that you made something where it is possible. And the other thing this person highlighted, which was very important, this person said it wasn't easy to do and that they respected it even more so because in real life it's also very difficult to bring people together. Mm. So yeah, this was like a very emotional, I, I teared up honestly. It was like such a heartfelt, like there were so many details in there that I'm not going over right now, but stuff like that. I'm glad it resonates uh, basically. That's, that's amazing. Um, if you can touch at least one person in that way, then you've already accomplished your job. It's, I think especially as an indie developer, that's all you're trying to do, right? Yeah. So, but we uh, <laughs> we already jumped ahead. Like I, I got real deep into the, the political topics and so on because it's uh, very interesting to me. But let's maybe, yeah, let's jump back to the start. Yeah, sure. um, you are the um, co-founder of the company. Like tell us a bit about the other, like how many other co-founders do you have? Yeah, so we co-founded the company like with three people. So we're three founders. All the other co-founders, we all know each other from high school. So we're basically high school friends. Um, it's a very interesting story. Uh, we knew each other in high school. We kept in touch throughout the years. We, we had a very close friendship, like a, like a grounded uh, friendship that we had. Um, and throughout life, like in, in, the, in our 20s, we all 
diverged because we went we were going to start off at different fields i'm by profession like i studied uh, translation and our other uh, co-founder ilke studied uh, visual communication design and our other co-founder rosgun studied uh, programming um so we we were gonna like you know we were spreading out to these other industries nearly but then something happened and all of our lives slowly turned back into games and then we found ourselves getting more experience in games and at the end we were like why don't we work on a project together let's try like a little project and that's how suzerain came to be also like other influences in my life kind of triggered me towards suzerain and then i invited them on board to let's make something great together you know instead of tackling the journey alone i didn't have all the skills we all learned so much but yeah we're three founders and uh, we founded in 2019 it was may but we started like pre-development like alpha concepts like in 2017 and 18 so um it took us like a while until we're like okay we can make a company on this product um yeah so it's the three of us so i understand you formed the company already around this existing idea of the specific game right yes we we found it after we were sure we can get funding and uh, after we were sure of the product how did that happen like how was the ideation of the project so you, it was you you came up with the original seed and you kind of pitched it to the other your co-founders how far advanced was it at that point like how far did you develop the idea yeah so honestly i was uh, it was um 20 it was the end of 2016 i'd worked on four different games before as a freelancer so i'd had some game experience and i've worked with like two large teams and uh, two smaller teams i had that freelance experience but i didn't have that indie dev experience like i always had like, other things to rely somebody else to rely on with this with this one i was like okay i finally want to make my own project i want it to come from the heart after you've worked on so many different studios you're like i'm just chasing somebody else's dream and i always see a part of me in their dream but it's never my dream Like, it's not a collective dream, even, because in our case, it was, like, really a collective dream. So I was like, okay, what type of a thing can I provide to the world that is, like, unique, that comes from, from a certain angle that is, like, valuable? So um, I've lived in Turkey most of my life, and I've seen, like, the country change, like, in such a drastic way after 2009, I would say, like, 2010. And I've been there throughout that time until, like, 2018. That change, I was like, that influenced me. And I was already, due to me being a translator, I studied European history, I studied politics. I'm, I was very interested in foreign policy, the economy and like social, like sociology in general, like social structures. So I took what I saw and I was like, wait, this is not the first time this is happening. I can't be the only human that's going through a transformation of a country. It is, you know, I mean, we're sitting here like, you know, uh, four, 35 years ago, like there was a wall here. And like 70 years ago, there was a re like regime that was, you know, so like every place goes through these things. Why don't we make something from a perspective, from, a, a, from an emotional standpoint? And why don't we put the players in it and try to make it so that everything that happens that throughout history and contemporary politics especially can be somewhat simulated and can be reflected. It started from this idea of, I saw these strategy games, all these political games that had like political themes, but they never got deep into it. And I was like, wait a minute, like politics is about people. It's about what people want and it's their emotions and it's their perspectives. It's their, it's the very base of being a human and all these changes are happening because certain people are very passionate about certain ideology or thought or way of living and they want to impose it on others or they want to push society to a certain direction these are all very human things they can't be like represented with values or numbers mm -hmm. so that's where the core came from like we can make something 
that tackles this subject from a grander perspective that focuses on the human experience, not the values and numbers. Like that was the core idea. And like even one of the code names I started with initially was Project Prince, like from Niccolo Machiavelli's Prince, mm -hmm. because we wanted to have like the, the darker take potentially as well, because we saw the darker take in real life. And if you read history, like, you know, the, the glimpses where ethics and like humanity is good is like very small and tiny and short. But like all the drama and tragedy is like massive. It's much more than the good stuff. So yeah, I had this idea. It came to me at 4 a.m. at night. Like it was uh, wild. Like I was like, I had that Eureka moment. And I remember like I was, I was in bed. It was three. And um, I, was, I was watching Tyranny, that game. And it inspired me, the visuals as well. So I was like, but like the content is what matters, right? And I was thinking about this. I'm like, oh my God, I got this idea. And this idea is very rough, but like there's something in this. So I hit up Ilke, I just immediately messaged him at four in the morning. I got this game idea. It's gonna be a game about this person ruling a country. It's gonna be emotional. It's gonna tackle politics from this aspect. Would you like help me, like come, like would you come on board and help me make this a reality? And Ilke just was leaving for his studies to, to do game design at the Cologne Game Lab. Mm. So he was leaving Turkey to go to Cologne, Cologne Game Lab to study. So and he said, yeah, sure, let's, uh, let's try. And then from there on, we pitched it to the others. Like um, Özgün was a programmer, so we got him on board. And then we had this like core team of like, you know, designer, project manager, and like um, the, the programmer. So like the core team was there. That's uh, how it started. And then other people came on board after that. Yeah, that's, that's um, pretty cool. If the initial seed of the idea or the initial inspiration is like so good that, that it allows you to... Uh, grow this team around you and like share the excitement with them and so on tell me a bit about the the production uh, like how long was this game of production and how to what team size did you grow the team so um we got into a, like a pre-alpha phase in 2017 when we started we kept that going until like the i would say the entirety of 2017 was like pre-alpha we were three people and then uh, we had two freelancers join in as like to support like without any pay or anything i mean none of us were getting paid honestly so it was just like free work we had james join us as a composer uh, who did game uh, co composition before for music and stuff and we had epic join as a character artist and it was just like very basic ideas being thrown out some songs some art just to you know just to be able to imagine this prototype so that was like the first year was pre-alpha very rough like we got a map we got some dialogue going and it was like very basic experimentation of like how can we do this i mean something from the onset that i think was very important was the our knowing our limitations like i've, I've researched a lot into like very different subjects and like number one like, very important thing is like you got to know what you can and what you cannot do when you start a project and in 2017 that was like our year of understanding what we can and what we can't do And it really helped because from a technical sp scope, the project did not change from that pre-alpha that much. Like we had a few things getting added here and there, but like from a technical perspective, that was pretty much close to what we released in uh, 2020. So pre-alpha was like that one year. And then in 2018, we went to this alpha stage of like, we got content in, we're like now experimenting with like, okay, this game flow is better. This is how we should d display dialogue. We need like other UI elements to make you know, more connected. Because one of our worries was we don't want to be just a visual novel. We want to be an experience that like has so much data and like values and like stuff that it feels like it's not a visual novel. But at the core of it, it is kind of a visual novel. It's like it's a genre mix kind of a situation. So we learned, we started gathering feedback from people. 
it's like, oh, I need more information on this and that. So we added like links to explain like certain references in dialogue. And then we added a codex system so we could like have this our, our own Wikipedia and like like the future set and the UI set started growing. That was 2018. And at that time we were, I think like five people, like five, six people maybe on it. And then I was like, okay, we're at this like third or fourth prototype now. And I, I was calling it alpha V5 or something. And then I was like, okay, we're getting to a stage where we can actually like, you know, show this around. Um, so in 2018, I moved from Turkey to Germany to Berlin here. And I was like, okay, I got to get into the indie scene and I want to just show people what we're doing. So I went to talk and play events. I showed like the prototype and I was like, okay, what do people think? And people really liked it. And there was a lot of feedback coming in. And that was a transition period of, we have something of a prototype. We are polishing it. We got a certain feature set in there. We are at a good place now. So now is the time where we can go out and ask people for money as basically. So in 2019, that was that year. So I basically went, um, it was a very interesting story. I took another job because I was, I ran out of money. So I was doing this other job on the side for six months or so. And I had like very like minimum cash reserves. And then the GDC put out like a, like a lottery for like people who can't afford tickets. And I had just enough money for a hotel and a flight, but I didn't have money for the GDC. So I just applied and I was at this other job and the other job was mentally killing me because I was working on our, my game and I was working a nine to five job at the same time. And it's like, and the other job was really draining because like when you have your passion versus like, you know, what you have to do, it's like very, it's a very interesting mental state to be in. The lottery came out and I got the ticket and that pushed me to go to GDC to San Francisco where I met uh, the managing director of Fellow Traveler and he absolutely loved the project and said that they would invest. And we talked to, um, I would say about like 10 indie publishers in 2019 with our alpha prototype and we received like two offers out of 10 and in our top of our list was Fellow Traveler because we knew they worked on Orwell and we shared like a similar vision with Orwell regarding how they tackled like intelligence and stuff like that and privacy and stuff. Being an agent, that perspective too, because ours is like a president perspective, there is like an Intel officer perspective. Um, so we we're like, okay, fellow traveler has like a lot of aligned values with us. Um, so that was awesome. I had that meeting there. They said they were interested. So I came back, they said, we're gonna fund your game. We're gonna sign you as a publisher and we're like, let's go. That's when things started like formulating into like an actual thing. Like we formed a company and then we started like the production started like fastening. Uh, we hired more people and we had more full timers. And then at the end of the development cycle where we were reaching beta and that was um, 2020. So 2020 was like the most intense production year. And that's when we left alpha and went to beta towards the end of the year. And then we released at the end of the year. And there we were like seven people who worked on the game. Uh, we even hired a freelance writer to improve the quality of the writing and finish some of the stuff up. So all in all, four and a half years, out of which two to two and a half years was um, just getting the team together, checking if the idea makes sense, and then formulating a prototype. It took long because everybody was doing something else in their lives. And I was basically the only one who gave up everything to focus on this. And um, that's also something you definitely need. You need somebody who chases while the other people are just on hold, in my opinion, because um, yeah, otherwise like, things won't work. Like it won't go because if I didn't, if I hadn't chased this stuff, it wouldn't have uh, gotten funding or all this stuff. It wouldn't like formulate into something. 
but it's also only possible because other people supported and made the product good and like they have different fields and skill sets yeah i think even during the pitching process it's it's very helpful if you have somebody that's like really showing their dedication and they're not just saying oh i'm super passionate about about this idea but they're really like showing that they're putting stuff on the line i don't know if that's healthy or not for the industry but it's definitely um it helps with the pitching process uh, i'm interested in, about the also the team management aspect of the, of that phase so since you were kind of like the the driving force in terms of being full-time on it were you also the creative leadership how did you um, agree on creative direction in, in all these areas um so initially when we started like i had like we like the creative vision was very rough and we worked on it together like one of the reasons why i wanted to get ilke on board because, because he actually studied game design like i wanted somebody who has like more field expertise in a, in a more theoretical sense because like the ideas that i had are like yeah i know games i worked on a couple of games but like what we did here is like such a different perspective on a game that it's just weird and i wanted somebody to ground me as well like this is like a reality check type of situation so um like there was a lot of bouncing off and, it, and the core team the co-founders are all creatively very aligned and this also comes from the fact that we're very close friends that makes like the alignment very easy like our, our like our thought variations are very minimal and that's very good to have like you need some variation between any you know dynamic um but overall our direction is like very close um when it came to like the content creativity that's when everybody who was writing was owning the part that they're writing because the overall narrative design was already set the overall game design was set we all voted on it like we had the structure of like everybody says yes and then it gets done like if somebody says no then we're like well it's hold on let's talk about it so it it really was like a team effort is is like where i'm getting at but as the team started to grow the delegation aspect started to come up because like i as like a managing director i couldn't have like a micro say in something creative anymore which previously i could have we were discussing like the minute details of the narrative like this character wouldn't do this like or we should really push for this type of an aspect in this scene or this arc should be like this like i would be more in that and it was great to be in it and with me and ilke we had like a lot of bounce uh, bounce back and forth with osgun as well because he wrote a lot of content towards the end as well but it is turning into more like right now especially after release with uh, what we're like with our next stuff what we're doing that is not fully uh, disclosed yet but um it is turning into like giving people more uh, free roam in their own fields which is uh at this point the, the core game design elements and stuff i'm not doing anymore like i'm just setting the direction with the team um i'm very clear on the direction stuff because like as i said like i do a lot of research on like world events history dynamics of people sociology these are like topics that i'm into and obviously are like since we want to make thought-provoking games we need to like you know implement like these things in what's happening in the world and in history into our games mm -hmm. so uh, we're using the narrative as a tool to do that and that's where i kind of say like okay here we want to talk about this subject so we should make sure that this is in But how do we gamify this or how do we make certain aspects more approachable and stuff like that so there there is a there's an ebb and flow and depending on the, the requirements and the, the manpower in the team and what what's happening i would say i'm much more high level than i was before now but it's good because i know i can trust uh the main game designer and um and ilke like we told like recently like he's the creative director as a, as a term now like we coined that for that person because we need somebody to lead 
the vision now. And as long as we all agree, it's that's the best because we like everybody has a skill set and everybody needs to trust each other with that skill set in any team. So like, we really I'm like a very pro delegation person. Um, so, yeah, that's the kind of team management structure and the core team, at least. Do you have formal processes uh, that you're using and how do you stay on top of the game? Do you have shared play sessions together with the team? Do you have weekly or monthly review sessions? Yeah, so so basically it's about creating a quick feedback loop. Um, everybody in their own field does their work and then shares it and like kind of gets feedback. We have a very um, informal and quick um, feedback loop system where we just like bring up these subjects. Like we, there is no like... We have these like very a lot of impromptu like hey i'm doing this like what do you think about this like i'm, I'm thinking about experimenting here and i'm like okay like got to be careful about this but like this needs a bit more of a you know attention so like it's about like bouncing ideas off and that person can then go on with their direction um the the key thing here is whenever there's something very grand being worked on in design especially or like the story like we sit down all together and we go through it like And all opinions are put forward. And then like we discuss how to improve, how to make better. Does it make sense? Doesn't it make sense? Um, so it's about having a lot of synchronization. Like one of the things we I said is that the um, creative direction um, w can only be executed if all of the co-founders agree on it. Mm -hmm. So like all three of the co-founders need to agree on the direction set by the designer. Otherwise, it's it's like it needs discussions until it gets agreed on. So it's so like we all are on the same page all the time regarding the direction. The minute and like medium executions are generally delegated to the people we hire on the lower levels, because like that's the thing. Like it's 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 not that good to just like um, micromanage people. You know, like you gotta you gotta like set your vision and where you want to go. Like, it's just the direction of the, the ship. But, like, who mans the cannons and, you know, who draws the sails? That's that person's task. And you don't want to tell them what to do. They know their thing, and that's why they're in the industry. The only thing they need to understand and care about is the direction of the ship. They need to agree on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you kind of have a, one could say, like a veto system, right? Where uh, somebody of the three founders basically is, like, against a certain idea or a feature or a creative direction then you talk about it until you get to consensus. Yeah, to consensus, right? yeah, yeah. And, and, most, and most of the time, since we share like a similar like, um, life experience and we share similar like inputs and outputs, uh, we don't have major differences. There are some differences that come up, but these can easily be handled with consensus. Um, the, the one point is like... Um, That was, that was like interesting is like under time pressure, the system is really interesting because under time pressure, we delegate and, and we say like, okay, I don't have a, um, a massive comeback at this or like, I don't have like, I'm not passionate to argue against this right now, which means that it's fine. Like even two people agreeing is fine then because there's time pressure, there's other stuff. This is not a priority. You know, even if I'm if I'm like, okay, in this subject, we sh maybe should thought it, think about it a bit more. But right now, just keep going and we'll tackle it in the future, like whenever, you know, it moved a bit more into detail. So it happens under time pressure where we just make more rash decisions with two people agreeing. So like we went, we go to a more majority rather than like a consensus system under time pressure yeah. to make, you know, quick decisions. Um, so it, we adapt basically. But at the end of the day, nobody can say this is going to some place that I don't want it to. 
that's the most important thing. At Machine Mensch, we are two co-founders. So all our, all these uh, creative disputes uh, usually are settled with a consensus uh, because it's, we don't have a tiebreaker. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's something you could do when you are three people. You could kind of overrule one person. But then again, of course, you want to have everybody on board. You also have to uh, pick your battles yeah. because, right, you cannot, you cannot be super passionate about everything and you realize that if you are vetoing something you might be go doing good for the project like it's coming from a good place but you also may be slowing down progress right or like slowing down learnings and so on and you cannot do that in every area right you have to accept that some areas uh, where you are maybe like less passionate about or that are less risky yeah you reach a consensus quicker and say like okay you know what i i have a different opinion or i i have a different intuition but i trust that maybe you are right and let's let's go with this if you two agree on that yeah no, no it's um i mean for us one of the big things was like the, um, the transition from eric releasing a game into like you know our new endeavors the team is very passionate to work on new exciting things but then again like a game's release is not the end and there's all, all these things that we have to do to you know maintain the game like we released 17 patches in nine months like and we're working on you know the upcoming switch version uh, soon it's going to release on the 26th of september and that was a lot of work and we have something else in the works um one of the things that was like really Uh, not easy to do and i know like the team wasn't super passionate about is to convince them and be like hey we gotta support this product in a way where like we need to make it reach new audiences and this is here not a creative goal at this point but it's more of a business goal and it's important to maintain the business as well as the product and the creative vision like it, it's a balance of both that was a that was something that but we all agreed and everybody said yes so we moved ahead with that but that's a more strategic thing which i'm in charge of like direction of the company in those subjects i'm i'm really happy to say that like the, the co-founding team and our shareholders like support us like and uh, support me specifically very strongly i just do a lot of research and i strategize and i find like the optimal way that i think is going to work out and i try to execute it and until now there's not been any like big disagreements about it there has been arguments but things have went well and i think it also reflected on the company positively because we're we're doing pretty okay <laughs> yeah talking about the release of the game it seems to be um doing very well uh judging from the the reception from the amount of reviews just not the quantity but also like how how much praise it gets uh, also in the press so did you anticipate this kind of success like in before the release where, where did you get like a lot of press attention or did you have a lot of wish lists or did this come to a, with a surprise? Oh, uh, yeah, this is honestly a big surprise because um, first off, we felt like kind of a black sheep um, as a game because we were tackling the subject that the industry is not happy to tackle like. Like a lot of these big companies are coming out and saying politics shouldn't be in games. And we're like, hey, we are the political game. And like we are from a human perspective. So we are not even abstracting the politics. We're just making it real between humans, between arguments, between just people being people, you know. Um, so we expected nothing like this. Uh, we had an okay amount of wish lists. Like I can tell you easily that we have maybe um, half the wish lists of most of the stuff that are released from our publishers lineup. The press was abysmal, like to say the best. We we, we came out uh, four days before Cyberpunk, 
Oh, okay. So we were right before so the largest time. game release, and uh, everybody was very busy with Cyberpunk, so the press was very minimal. There was not much. But we had this great marketing campaign where fellow travelers shined a lot in their marketing aspect. We had this in-lore election campaign that was happening. So in our universe, it was as if like the release was when you got into office. So we made it so that like we had in-game newspapers because we already have in-game newspapers in our game relaying information. We had them reflect on marketing. So basically the news would come up and be like, hey, election is coming soon. This candidate did this. Like Anton Rain is like saying this is going to be the minister. So it was this like entire storyline of an election unfolding. And we got, I think, also correlating to that, we got lucky because the U.S. elections were happening at the same time. So like the two elections kind of like went side by side. It was as if one was in a fictional universe, one was in a real universe. And uh, the community loved it. And at the same time, we started a role-playing session in our Discord where everybody got to choose their party and they became elected as in the parliament and they were discussing the laws and what they should do. So our Discord server blew up. They had so much activity. Like every day we had thousands of messages going through. So people were role-playing, becoming like a member of parliament. And uh, all the political parties we created for our game in the fictional universe got like copied into the Discord and... The, the, the universe came alive basically mm. through the marketing through the discord and then people were getting hyped and hyped and hyped for this release date and it got like in it got really intense um but outside of discord or steam there was nothing like there was like it was just like silence basically you know except for the stuff we shared nobody else was like really going crazy about us and then i don't know like we had maybe one or two articles that came up but then the game released and then we had this explosion like it was this I remember like we pressed the release button um, and we didn't look at it for two hours. And then we look, it's like hundreds of people are playing at the same time. We're like, whoa, like where did this happen? And then we just didn't look for many hours. And then we saw we hit 1,090 players peak on Steam. And I was like, what? 1,090? That was like insane. Mm. Um, so what happened was we ended up getting pushed up on the popular and uh, trending on Steam. Uh, thanks to like the amount of of a loyal fan base that bought the game i think and also the fact that the game has a certain visual art style that reflects to a lot of similar genres especially the strategy edge so i think a lot of the strategy players that want a bit more of a human experience of the politics immediately got drawn in but we also had a very loyal crowd like you know tap in and buy on the first day we also had like a very high launch discount like a 20 percent mm -hmm. uh, when we went live yeah, and, and everything somehow, you know, it, it worked out. And the amount of attention we got on Steam helped the press to notice it. And then slowly there were more articles. It was funny. We got more attention a couple of weeks after the release than any time before. So it, it was the, the Steam uh, customer base that really promoted us. It was the people, basically. I mean, it's, it's very, it's funny for, for a political game to do this. But like, yeah, the people helped a political game become a success kind of a thing, not the press. So yeah, well, the press helped <laughs> after. Well, but it also shows the, the power of building up community before launching, right? Like with all those world building events and, and activities which i find super cool the, the idea of putting like having world building in a game is already uh, i i like a lot and um, extracting that from the game and kind of building like a content around it like the, the role-playing experience and so on on discord and then building a, up a community through that 
with content that keeps them engaged because that's always tricky right if you you can it's easy to open up a discord server but you need something for people to do once they are on there <laughs> and to, to stay busy so having a, a role-playing experience uh, that people can engage with probably helped you a lot on the release date that you help have had this group of people that were really excited uh, for this game especially if you say that already on the first date you had so much attention especially like for the first indie game of a new company right? yeah this, this was a big factor i can say and it's very true to our game our game yes you're playing anton rain but it's about role playing as anton rain it's about putting yourself in the shoes of this person but then taking it from there and the role playing aspect of the discord was very like it worked with the message of the game and the style I was very happy about that. Yeah, and definitely the, the marketing campaign about the election. Uh, that was also very, very good. It was one of the coolest marketing campaigns I've seen. It was fun to be part of it, like part of the whole, like the, the, the development side wasn't as fun. <laughs> like the last couple of months of development were like really, uh, really hard. I, I talked about this um, at, on, a, on, a, on another article at Game Rant. It, it, it was uh, a lot of intense. Mm -hmm crunch at the at the very end at least not a long one but like intense one at the last couple of months so um by the by release we were like what's happening like we're out of it basically <laughs> like what's happening <laughs> something's going on but then it hit us like that we actually succeeded and, and that's another point i want to like say that at the start of the journey very at the very beginning i told everyone that we're doing this but we're our expectations are zero like as in We are going to try our best when we create a prototype and then we're going to see where it takes us. We don't expect to make huge money. We don't expect to, you know, be successful, like just zero expectations. Just don't expect anything. Keeping a team together was very difficult through that because, you know, we, we, did, we didn't have funding before release, like uh, until we got the publisher. So the first two years, no funding, nothing. Keeping a team together without pay just by telling them that don't expect anything but work on this is like probably the hardest thing that you can do. And I think out of everything, there's only a few things I want to praise myself in because it's not a good thing to do. But the, the, the one thing there was that I, got, I kept a team together for two and a half years to work on a product, telling them not to, not to expect anything from the success of it, not to expect success at all, even expect a high chance of failure and also without pay as well. And that is like the hardest challenge you can do. Because you're just telling, it's like a pipe dream. You're telling people to dream and then nothing will come out of it. And then you just tell them to put hundreds or maybe a thousand hours into it. So um, that's very difficult. And out of everything, I'm really super proud that I managed to do that and keep these people believing in it. Um, and I think they're happy that at the end it also worked out. Um, but yeah, when it finally manifested and when we got all this praise people were like what's this company like why didn't we hear of this and this is like a very unique take and we also had a lot of political uh, comments come in a very small minority of, of the majority of the reviews were like po political it was like very few but it was funny we had like this uh, funny like cycle of reviews like it was like this game is like anti-leftist and right below this is like this game is like uh, pro um it's like pro-leftist mm -hmm. so like there were like uh, opposite political arguments being made uh, that this game is like biased in both why both ways yeah. and we were very happy because we made the experience difficult for everyone and this is one of our successes like we were very happy like oh yeah like yeah social democrats like yeah they want to do this oh, 
let's just make it really tough. And like, you know, we'd go in, we would devise a storyline. So everything became difficult. Like you want to do good, but you had to morally sacrifice something. Mm. But at the same time, we were like, okay, you know, if you're a right winger and you're going this way, then we got to make this difficult. And like, you know, like we, we always wanted to break these like norms and archetypes in the industry and in people. And we wanted to challenge everyone. And we were very happy to see the reviews come through, not just praise the game itself overall, but also some people noticed this. Some people played the game a different couple of different ways. And they're like, wow, every different way I'm being challenged and it's differently difficult in different ways, you know? Um, we were very happy. It was, it was a great time. Um, it was a massive highlight, like a big relief uh, because you don't know how, like we took investment from fellow traveler to make the game. Mm-hmm. And in indie deals, I don't know if most people know this, but you pay back the initial investment and then you get to do a revenue split with a publisher and paying back the initial investment is, is very difficult in indie games. Like we took, I can disclose this, it's fine. Uh, we took about 120,000 uh, in an investment for Suzerain. And um, paying that back was like one of the biggest concerns in my mind. What if the game doesn't do well? We will never be able to pay this back. We will never be able to make revenue because we can't pay it back. Um, and then the fact that it sold so well on day one, I was like, okay, we will see like the period after paying back the investment and we will actually see revenue come into the company. And then this might, this dream, this company might actually formulate into something real. That was a massive relief from my end, at least. A lot of people are maybe in a similar position where at the beginning of um, chasing this dream, there is no money around and a couple of team members might work on a basis of let's just see what happens um, how did you handle that situation after you made some revenue like were the people like compensated for that period where they didn't receive money or, or did they receive company shares or are there are a lot of ways of going about that right how did you handle that if you can talk about that yeah sure no i can um like this is like one of the things um as a um, new company like with a new perspective on like business i i, I this is what, one of the things i like to share the internals and like share about how we approach things because i think like the age of um hiding things and like hiding certain things is like over i think the the future is going to open up more and more and i think everything needs to be like needs to be more open so i'll i'll tell how we did it the idea was when we founded that we would uh, do a close to equal equity split And, and there was a couple of reasons for this. Um, first off, yes, not being able to pay people means that you need to convince them to stick around another way. Company shares is a great way to do so. And I think uh, the old model of having somebody have like a majority, like 60%, 70% or 80%, and then other people 10 or 10 or 5 is, I think it's outdated, is my honest opinion. And the reason why I say this is if people are going to be in the trenches fighting with you, then you should get near to an equal share. There might be small variations to compensate for certain events that happened that because everybody goes through a different life. Some people can take debt to make the company happen. Some people can, you know, um, sacrifice something else. Then they might be like, yeah, I want a few percentages here and there. So you need to still respect the small minor variations. So everybody still feels happy with where they are. But overall, like if everybody's in the trenches with the same energy, with the same passion, with the same effort, they should get similar shares, is my opinion. And shares is a great way to incentivize people because it just ties them to the company and product in a certain way. They're in there for the longer term. They own something. The ownership of the feeling of ownership is, is a plus of its own. Like I co-founded this company. I own part of this company. It's also my responsibility that this company goes good. It's my name on it as well. Um, so part of it we've done like that. Um, the other part, the freelancers we hired, 
as soon as we got the initial investment, we paid them. So those were the ones we paid. So the people who didn't have ownership of the company were paid first, and then it cycled back. And then the people who are working and they need to be maintained as employees, they were paid after. Um, so it cycled around, but, uh, we looked at it that way though. There was one small detail. One of our co-founders, they due to their life circumstances, they had to join later, but they still had the same effort and they couldn't get paid. Um, so for them, we're going to do a different type of deal to compensate them. As you said, like retroactively, that was the case with this person. So for them, we made a different deal because they felt like, you know, they're coming in late because of their life circumstance, which is out of their hands. So they wanted to have at least some compensation. And we also arranged that. So my takeaway is definitely use company shares. If the people give an equal effort as you do. And I mean, in this scenario, I assume you were just like fighting like tooth and nail for, for a company, but, um, yeah, in that, in that scenario, share, and then make sure that people have ownership. In an ideal case, I would say even have your uh, most like closest employees have some stock options in the company. So they also own a small percentage of it. And then pay freelancers first because they are not with the core team. They don't own a company. You need to make sure that the outlying supporters need to be covered first financially because their their lives, like they need, they're more different than the core team. And then go from there, basically. And once the payroll starts, starts kicking in, it stabilizes. But the first moment where the money comes in and you need to like uh, see how it's been handled, it is uh, it's a challenge. It's very, it's a very, it's a very complex issue to solve. This is one of the things that the managing director has to solve as well. Like it's, yeah, you got to make sure there's no conflict. People feel like they have been taken care after. And that's a key point. How does that work in, on a day-to-day -day basis with when people have the equity and so on? Does it mean that there is a board that kind of votes on issues or on running the company together and that also maybe votes the managing director as well? Yes. So basically our company is a board and we agree on subjects together or disagree or whatever it be. And yeah, the board can appoint a managing director or also remove a managing director. But day to day, this is not felt. And this is a key subject that we honed down like in the last one and a half years. The, my role as a managing director versus um, product director is different. And uh, that's why like we, we got these titles a bit more solidified recently is I'm a product director as in I also have a directional like uh, say on the product uh, execution, the management, even the vision at points as at least the direction of where the product is going. And my managing director roles and my co-founder and managing director roles are like more about like maintaining the future of the company and stuff like that. It's more of the organizational side of things. Yeah, we do have board meetings, but it's like maybe twice a year. Mm. So it's not like we have this like crazy board meeting cycle because everybody is really passionate about the actual like creative stuff. Like we're not super passionate about the bureaucracy, honestly. I don't know. I have to meet people that are. I don't think anybody really is. But um, I would say that uh, in that way, we are still very aligned. And uh, yeah, there might be a case where the board might like uh, have a change in opinion. But the thing is, at the end of the day, it's still like a council and like a council meets and discusses and agrees or disagrees together. And it, that's what matters. And that's why like our approach, I think, is like more futuristic. It's very much driven on consensus. Uh, it's a very democratic approach. Sometimes it has its downsides, but at those points, everybody can agree that um, that I have like an emergency authority in a way that I can like make split decisions without asking people and people trust me to do so because there are a lot of decisions I made and developed throughout the course of the development of Suzerain. Um, there was especially like two or three critical decisions that happened within like 
two days that changed the course of the game. And like one of them could have absolutely destroyed our release. And if I hadn't made the right call there, it would have been bad. But the team trusts me to make these decisions, execute them, and then, you know, all this stuff. So you do need a balance of both. Basically, you need to have the person in charge have um, executive autonomy uh, to be able to react quickly in like dire situations. And if they have correct strategic analysis, they can make the right call. But you also need to have the board have a consensus of the decisions being taken and have the board have some say over the direction. So if something goes wrong with the managing director and they don't feel like they're aligned, they can be like, hey, we shouldn't maybe go to this direction. I think this is like taking things too far. And then there needs to be an agreement or a disagreement and a decision. Yeah, I, I agree that these are two driving forces in, in companies that can both destroy <laughs> companies. One is uh, if one person kind of gets too much power and is driven by ego and starts making like wrong decisions. And the other one is the opposite of you have group consensus, but it's uh, halting to a standstill and you're not, you're not taking decisions quickly enough. And I, I feel a big capability or a big skill of a company is the, the velocity in which it can make decisions and learn, right? And then if that becomes too slow, then you have uh, other problems. So striking the right balance, it's definitely a big challenge and, and goal. But it's interesting the, the way you're approaching it. And it sounds pretty pragmatic, but also... Yeah, pretty modern and, and fair, like with how you handle equity. So we talked about the development and also then the release and so on. There's one aspect that I, I'm also interested in about the release, which is you mentioned that it's a, a genre mix. So how do you approach this challenge of kind of teaching people what to expect uh, or explaining the game in general, right? When you do a trailer and so on, how do you communicate what this game is about? For us, it's always about conveying an emotional, personal experience. So we focus on the story. And in the materials we display, we try to be pretty clear about the, the content expectations. Like it's very difficult with Suzerain because it really looks like a strategy game. And this is one of the visual appeals of the game. It draws a lot of people through that. It has that strategy type of look. But we use that look to make the narrative interesting and make it approachable and make it pleasing on the eye because we basically looked at everything and we're like, okay, what can we do that would make it unique but also would deliver the core experience. And it's not easy to communicate this, this to people because it doesn't exist. Actually, start, like a game like Suzerain just doesn't exist. Um, so it's very difficult to like maintain these like um, ideas of, around the product and like display them in a way where people get it. One thing we've done is we updated our store pages and everything after receiving an initial feedback. We were like, okay, this is a story about Anton Rain. It's a political game, but it's based of, a, of a, an emotional aspect, of a human aspect. It's not a values and sim game in the fact that it is about living this person's life in different ways. Like it's definitely not about the values, the whatever. These are all subjects you tackle within that. It was a challenge, honestly. I don't think we perfectly got it yet. Maybe like we wanna in the future make it really clear Like, just like say, this is not this type of a game. This is this type of a game because we've seen other games do that. But overall, I think we still landed close to a good spot when it came to communicating what this game is. And one of the things we also did was like, we started putting pictures where there was more dialogue first in our stores saying that, okay, there's a lot of dialogue. And then at the back have some like other UI elements that support, you know? Um, so it's not easy because when you make games that are unusual, it's very hard to market them and like show them in a way. It's going to be a challenge uh, going towards the future because the things we're trying to do is like 
always, always very complicated. Um, but one key thing I want to say, like also when it comes to game design, because this reflects on the marketing stuff as well, we really look at breaking norms. Like any norm that exists in the industry, when we sit down and talk about it, we're like, how can we do this different? In a way where it still works within the main narrative and the main design of the game. How can we approach this design in a different way? And what is the best way to do this? And then, okay, what is the what is our way of doing this? And Suzerain is kind of like looking at everything and like, this is our way of doing this uh, in a way. And it's going to maintain, um, the, the challenge is going to maintain itself because if you're doing things right, then it means that we still have issues trying to explain to people what type of a game it is. Any time where we don't have issues with that, I think we're going the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that because it's kind of a catch-22. If you do a highly innovative game that's uh, unusual, you will have a hard time explaining it because it just takes more time to explain something which yeah. hasn't done, been done before. And if you have an easy time, then it's probably because you can say, hey, it's like this game, but just with a sci-fi setting yeah. and so on. On a personal artistic level, it might not be interesting to you, but it also... There is a benefit to doing innovative games. I feel like it's, as far as I can tell with Curious Expedition, because it, it was a, a long time seller and it kept selling year after year even more. And I, I think that is due to it being kind of, even after years, being kind of its own thing in yeah. the marketplace. And I, I think that's, that's very much also the case with Suzerain, where I imagine it will keep on selling because there's not as much danger that somebody will be doing exactly the same game and one up you on terms of produ product value or something. That is so true. Like I, I 100% agree with this. Um, when you make something unique that people cannot like fill a demand with anything else, they will keep coming to your product and new people keep coming in. It was, it was crazy. Like, you know, I mean, you said in CE2 as well, like being in a unique place in, in the marketplace is a display of a lot of things working out. Like a lot of things working out creatively, a lot of things working out with business marketing, a lot of like it's a it's an amazing thing to to do and to be in. Like I, I'm super happy that Suzerain is like a product that whenever people say I want to experience something political, they're like play Suzerain. Like if you want the more human side of it, and there's nothing else, and that's a great place to be in a marketplace. Is like you're the only point of reference for that type of a thing. And going forward, I think the industry will be more about these types of in-between genre mixes and stuff that is like um, experimenting within something in a different take, in a different way. Um, you know, one of the games that we were very inspired by is like Disco Elysium, which is like a, like a very different look on the RPG genre from a very dialogue and internalized perspective and reimagining existing mechanics completely differently and doing content completely differently. There is a lot of room to explore um, and innovation when it comes to game design specifically, I think is, is like, it won't end. There are, yes, there are a lot of games that are similar, but that makes the games that are unique stand out even more in the market. Building a universe also is another point I want to add to that. The fact that we built the Suzerain universe um, makes it so that it's an IP that only belongs to us, not just by the product itself, but the universe itself. And building a, I mean, it's a massive country we created with a lot of detailed characters and all this stuff. But um, it's a value of its own. Like nobody can make the Suzerain universe again, right? And you, it, it increases the value. Like, you know, Curious Expedition as well, what you've created, nobody can really like recreate that IP. And like they can take and copy and change a little bit, but like it won't be that. And that makes us, I think, as, like, as companies very unique 
because not only do we have like games that are like interesting and a different take from a design or technical perspective, but we also have it as from a creative, from a world building, from a lore perspective as well, stuff that is really, you know, connected. Um, yeah, and I really want to double down on this. Uh, I've, I've told this to the community as well. This, this universe, we don't want to give up on. Like, we want to expand on this universe. Yeah. No, interesting. Yeah, that was also for us a conscious decision to lean even more into this aspect on the sequel, where we consciously came up with more characters and locations and a whole backstory that's uniquely ours. And the first one was a bit more inspired by more tropes where we leaned into existing tropes of indiana jones and lovecraft and so on and had a lot of cultural references to those but if we put the necronomicon into the game like in the first game that's not uniquely ours and it's not something that's easy to build a, an ip around so for the second one that's something we we changed where we try to establish our own terminology and our own historical events that happened and i think that's um commercially that's something that also makes sense and it's also a, a lot of fun <laughs> to yeah, be honest it's just awesome. like the uh, something i gravitate to towards as a player even in first person shooters that's why i liked uh, overwatch as much just this dialogue at the at the beginning of matches and like seeing the this level design um easter eggs that's that's to me that's that's exciting uh, for some reason yeah the i mean we we go to games to disappear into them in, in very different shapes or forms and expectations. But we still like sometimes really want to, you know, go to a place that's like unique and creative and it's like, it just expands our mind and it brings us to another place. And as a, as a game developer, this is one of the largest plus things in my opinion. Like this is one of the most important things for me is to have the ability to create a universe is for suzerain especially it was amazing like having so much say in what a city is and who a character is and what the history was and and um, the outline of a world and and then now like it's even more exciting for us internally what the stuff we're working on to give it like that extra detail honestly very glad that we made a more of a story type of game instead of a more gameplay focused game because I think we were, we were hungry for creativity as a team, I think. And whenever we gave each other, like, each other the pen to write, it just came out. Like everybody started like, because it was an opportunity. It's a rare opportunity to have that much input in something in your life. And then when you can, you just start going crazy. You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to write this. I'm going to, and then suddenly everything starts forming. It's very exciting. Um, I, uh, I love this part of the industry a lot, um, but definitely also we do want to do more gameplay related stuff that's more um, interactive. Uh, so yeah, that's also something that's our uh, next challenge. All right. Yeah, I'm excited to see what it, what it will be and like what form it will take. Uh, I think it will be uh, very interesting and I'm... I'm sure it will be political, but I, I wonder like in which way it will be political. I think on the first, like on Suzerain, you've applied this life hack or this, this trick that people cannot say or cannot complain, oh, you made a political game because it is like a political genre that you, that you approach. So I think that's, that's really smart. If you want to do a political game, just make it literally set in politics yeah. and then nobody can complain about uh, this thing. It, it is the, that. Um, no, and and one point I can add there easily is um, we recently went to Sweden to have this like a little uh, getaway to think about design and creative vision and like the future. 
uh we went to spiel collective at the, the game collective in sweden it was really fun but there um we did a lot of research and just like reflection about what happened and what we're trying to do and what is the meaning of what we're doing because like we, we were really trying to like find us in everything and uh one thing i found uh, because uh, i was reading about philosophers like throughout history just like a summary of like every important key like uh, spe specifically political philosophers i read some before but i've never really went into like like a massive historical detail as in like i went back this time like bc like 5000 bc i try to like gather info from then until now but one thing i noticed is that actually what we are and what we want to be in the future is like um like modern digital philosophers that's what we're trying to do that's what i found out because we want to question reality and we question everything that we live in but we're using games as a form of doing so so we are actually like digital philosophers in a way and uh, i'm very happy to continue that thing if like life and all of our circumstances allow like that's where like where we express ourselves and where we're happy where we're fulfilled basically so yeah uh we'll see where it takes us <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh inspirational and um Yeah, one can tell it's not just a, a commercial goal with the games. All right. Yeah, we, we went a bit in <laughs> a different direction towards the end, but I found it very interesting. So I want to thank you again for coming onto the podcast. And yeah, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a good, good time. Cool. Then uh, goodbye. Bye. That concludes the episode with Arta, whose company is using Codex, by the way. Codex is our playful project management and community building tool. You can find it at codex.io. It's free to try. And if you use promo code we love podcast, that is codex.io slash we love podcasts, you will get extra credits. For feedback about this episode or guest recommendations, please send an email to podcast at codex.io. Thanks for listening and until next time.